I'm Afshin Ritansi, and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. At least one Black Sea Grain Initiative ship was carrying explosives, perhaps from the UK-US-EU billions of dollars in arms being sent to fight Russia through Ukraine. The Black Sea Grain Initiative is dead for now, terminated by Moscow. But questions asked at last week's Russia-Africa summit in St. Petersburg included why only 3% of the Black Sea Grain Initiative exports, in any case, found their way to poorer countries. And why were NATO belligerent Spain, Holland, Italy, Britain and others grabbing grain? And what are the real mechanisms at play when it comes to the neoliberal global food system? All this as the UN Secretary General and NATO nation leaders, so silent on US occupation of Syria's wheat fields, claim the Black Sea Grain Initiative was crucial to saving the poor of Africa. Anuradha Mittal is the founder and executive director of the Oakland Institute, which has just reported on IMF World Bank collusion in the carving up of Ukraine's global food supply system. She's previously testified before both the U.S. Congress and the U.N. She joins me now from Nairobi, Kenya. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. I mean, there wasn't much coverage of the uh, Africa-Russia summit uh, last week, uh, so perhaps uh, it was easier to understand in NATO nations from big corporate media that the Black Sea Grain Initiative, killed by Putin, is going to starve Africa. Why is that? Uh, why is your policy director claiming it's deceitful and that the UN has become a business broker for agribusiness uh, corporations in violation of its values as regards this uh, Black Sea Grain Initiative? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, if you were listening to the hype in the Western media, one would think that the Black Sea Grain Initiative is really to prevent famines and to solve the global food crisis by enabling exports uh, of food from Ukraine to developing countries, food insecure countries, especially in Africa. The truth is that the United Nations figures itself point out that less than 3% of the commodities, food commodities export from Ukraine have actually gone to uh, food insecure countries. Most of the exports are headed to the European Union. Spain is the largest recipient and the second is China. So this has nothing to do with feeding the poor, ensuring food security or preventing famines. This is really about ensuring that the profits of those who control uh, land in Ukraine and who are controlling these food exports continue to soar. Well, what? You're saying all the journalists at CNN, BBC, all the usual suspects, they're idiots? I mean, they've literally been saying it's this initiative to help the poor of Africa. Well, the question is really the figures from the United Nations. This is not about their word against ours. This is really about the United Nations figures, which are clearly demonstrating that as of just last week or so, only 3% of the food commodities exported from Ukraine under this initiative have gone to low-income countries. So I don't know if the journalists are being idiotic or just being careless and being lazy. <laughs> at, uh, at best, uh, perhaps. Now, uh, how do you characterize uh, Ukraine's farmland and uh, how the food industry works in Ukraine? Because uh, your recent report seems to suggest uh, over many years, really, the IMF and World Bank twin institutions, along with profiteering big companies, have carved the whole of Europe's bread box basket up, uh, especially after the uh, coup in 2014, um, when apparently Zelensky was elected in a way to say, look, we're going to stop privatization. But privatization is, is the process now. Well, that's a very important point that you just made. 
most of the world does not realize that under the foreign debt, Ukraine has gone through severe structural adjustment programs, which have been dictated by the Western financial institutions, such as EBRD, the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, leading to privatization and liberalization. And one of the big changes that have been implemented much against the will of the Ukrainian people, protest of academics, civil society, and farmers, is the land reform law, which was implemented in 2020, which creates a land bank, basically allows uh, sale of agricultural land. So our new report that you referred to, War and Theft, is really about the takeover of the Ukrainian agricultural land. And it exposed that the producers who are exporting commodities from Ukraine today are largely um, large agribusinesses. These are oligarchs who are associated with European and North American financial institutions, in particular, uh, the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, as well as the World Bank. Yeah, but I mean, Vanguard, BNP, Goldman Sachs, Norway's Sovereign Wealth Fund, I'm sure they would all deny any wrongdoing as they're actively aided by the EBRD and, uh, and World Bank. They're, uh, they're in it to feed the world, they presumably say. Well, when you, look, when you look at our research, it actually demonstrates that nearly 30% uh, of Ukraine's arable land, we are talking about nearly 9 million hectares of land, are today controlled by oligarchs and the Western financial interests. These are predominantly North American and uh, European. And these are the people who are now controlling the land. The largest landholders, the oligarchs, are getting financial loans from Western financial interests. Oh, you're talking about US pension funds. You're talking about foundation endowments being vested uh, in this and investing in agricultural land in Ukraine through private equity funds such as PHC. Okay, so to which the World Bank can say, look, we gave $5.54 million to support small farmers in Ukraine. I know that's the, that's the price of a sort of house in central London, maybe, but uh, they did give money to small farmers in Ukraine. When you look at the kind of loans that are being made, but more important, the policies that are being generated. So you already had a debt-ridden Ukraine, which has gone through structural adjustment loans, um, which has led to privatization, which has led to uh, further liberalization. And now with Ukraine being more under debt, as the reconstruction starts, whenever the war ends, there'll be further liberalization. So it'll be the World Bank, it'll be the IFC, the private uh, lending arm of the World Bank. It'll be EBRD dictating policies, which will be further uh, liberalizing different sectors, especially the agricultural sector. What we don't recognize that while we're talking about food security amidst Russian invasion of Ukraine, it is not really about food security of the rest of the world because the exports even now that are being allowed from Ukraine, that have to do with profiteering the large agribusinesses which are really in the control of North American and European financial interests. Of course, Kristalina uh, Georgieva, the head of the IMF who took over uh, from Christine Lagarde who was um, uh, found guilty of negligence in France and didn't have to serve her year sentence, uh, her jail sentence. She says the priority of the IMF will be to help minimize the risk of crisis and build a stronger uh, building of stronger economies across the, the globe. As for the World Bank, A.J. Banger, the former MasterCard CEO, said to create a world free from poverty on a livable planet. Um, 
how does that square with what you've just said about the IMF and World Bank, the two Washington-based institutions? Well, what's happening right now is that you have further consolidation of land, which is controlled by oligarchs, which is controlled by Western financial interests. The loans, the support is not going to the small farmers in Ukraine. And amidst this economic distress, we will see more and more consolidation as these farmers are not being supported. We have to understand that the protests that happened against the 2020 land reform and the law was implemented amidst COVID when people could not protest. The civil society, the academics, the farmers in Ukraine are basically demanding and calling for a different agricultural model, which instead of further consolidation of land by oligarchs and large agribusinesses is really about creating an agricultural policy which will work in favor of the small farmers in Ukraine. Now that is not in the interest of the IMF, of the World Bank or the IFC. It is really about supporting private equity funds such as NCH in the United States where uh, foundations and as I said before, university and other endowments are investing in. So there's basically a circus going on. And last week, the UN Food System Summit, sponsored by Nestle, Rockefeller, Bayer, Bill Gates, World Economic Forum. You think they probably, did they discuss, would they have discussed the kind of issues raised in uh, your, your report uh, or from a different angle? Well, I think we have to see who was at the conference. As you say, it is Bayer, it is Nestle. They are not in the business of statesmanship. They're not in the business of solving world hunger. They're in the business of increasing their profits. They pray at the altar of their shareholders and in increasing their profits. And this is why it's important to understand when we talk about food crisis because of invasion of Ukraine, who's really benefiting? The food prices went up because of the speculation of the grain markets, um, even among the, you know, amidst the war the kind of exports we have seen from Ukraine are pretty high. So it's a myth, it's a lie, which has been told to the world as those who are in the business of agribusiness continue to get rich at the expense of the poor. This is a double whammy for the Ukrainian farmers. While they're fighting for their farmland, while they're fighting for their land, their land is being stolen away and taken away by powerful oligarchs and Western financial interests. Many have said that Zelensky is a puppet of oligarchs and, and Western capital, but the fact that he reinstated uh, structural adjustment, privatization, austerity against the opposition, which of course now is banned in, in Ukraine, uh, elections are, may well be banned uh, for next year. I mean, is this evidence that Zelensky is a puppet, that he has uh, reintroduced the structural adjustment? Or is it that, uh, you know, culturally, the way they persuade uh, countries to, about EU integration is, look, you need to reform your processes and this is the way forward and then you'll be all happy like uh, Western Europe. I think it's very important to look at the history of institutions such as the World Bank and the IMF. There's nothing global about them, though their stated claim is to end poverty. Very often their po policies uh, work against the poor and they really become about ending the poor and not ending the poverty. You look at the continent of Africa which went through structural adjustment programs. You look at Asian and Latin American countries. Structural adjustment programs has been about decimating the livelihoods of the poor, decimating social services, while bolstering the interests of the corporations. This is what the liberalization uh, agenda looks like. So I think we have to learn from history and see what the checkered past of these financial institutions has been. 
So they are in the business of carving out countries while decimating livelihoods uh, and creating further hardships for the poor. In case of Ukraine, we have seen already what the structural adjustment programs are doing. They're increasing poverty. They're taking away social services. So you are going to see more liberalization, more privatization, which is not going to work in the favor of people. It is really about working in the favor of corporations. And as Western corporations control more and more of agricultural land, agribusinesses, we know what these policies are about. I mean, clearly it's... Uh... The uh, war on uh, Russia through Ukraine is a place to make masses of money for arms uh, companies. But uh, the, the food money uh, system dimension of this doesn't seem to really be talked about. So, in part, Ukraine is a fight for these big agribusiness companies as well? Is it, I mean, is it corruption that we're actually seeing as part of the war? Well, Ukraine is called the breadbasket of Europe. So who controls the agricultural land in Ukraine uh, does become a major player in the food markets. This, again, is no different from the kind of land rush and the land grabs we have seen across the world, especially since 2008, 2009, amidst the high food price crisis, amidst uh, the financial crisis. So in terms of Ukraine, as we see the land being consolidated and controlled by Ukrainian oligarchs who are today indebted to Western financial institutions. We see the Western actors coming into the play in terms of controlling agricultural land. We see the 2020 Land Reform Act kick into play and creating land banks where agricultural land is available for sale, where we see no support for the small farmers in Ukraine. We see economic distress going. We know how uh, things will play out. Small farmers will be driven out and you will see consolidation of land. We have seen this happen in the United States of America. We have seen this around the world as small farmers who are crucial for food security of countries are being driven away and the culture of agriculture is lost. And this is really about who controls the food supply and who controls agricultural land to make money and not to feed the world. Anuradha Patel, I'll stop you there. More from the founder and executive director of the Oakland Institute after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Anuradha Mittal, founder and executive director of the Oakland Institute and board chair of Ben & Jerry's. Anuradha, we were talking about this continuing structural adjustment ideological uh, basis of life being pushed from the United States. I thought there was a pause in it after the global uh, financial, or as the Chinese call it, Western economic crisis. Why has it suddenly come back again on the agenda, the idea of privatization, uh, to de facto help a few oligarchs in the United States anyway? Well, I think in terms of capitalism and in terms of bolstering the profits of, uh, of the rich, that model has never gone away. It has showed up in different ways, whether it was through economic globalization, whether we have seen it through structural adjustment programs, which was about increasing the profits of corporations, even if uh, it causes uh, severe hardship to the majority of the people. We have seen it through the World Bank policies of doing business rankings, which was about ranking countries on what they like to do business with. Uh, you know, a country which was implementing labor laws, environmental regulations would get a you know, bad business ranking, whereas a country that was 
opening itself and offering all kind of incentives to corporations would get a good ranking. So it's if you look at the history, there's constantly a play for increasing the profits of corporations. And after structural adjustment programs, we saw doing business rankings. After doing business rankings were ended, now we are seeing be ready business project of the World Bank. So throughout there are these uh, policies and programs and projects being put in place by Western capitalists really to support Western corporations and foreign corporations, even at the lives and livelihoods of the poor in developing countries. People can read that report on the bizarre ranking uh, system on which countries to do business on your uh, website. But uh, for those that uh, thought they were going to make a load of cash out of the grain initiative, Putin is saying Russia is just going to send the grain separately uh, outside of their, uh, their systems. What can be done then to destroy the IMF and World Bank? Because for years... Uh, groups like yours and, and institutions and NGOs that are not allied to the military-industrial complex have said they are guilty of starving millions, hundreds of millions of men, women and children. What can be done? There doesn't seem to be any democratic accountability uh, available. You know, that's an excellent question. For almost 20, 25 years ago, there was a very popular call from the developing world, especially from Africa, saying 50 years is enough. International Monetary Fund, World Bank, which were created at the end of the Second World War, are still rebuilding war-torn economies of the West. There's nothing global about them. You have IMF where the head comes from Europe. You have uh, World Bank where the head comes from the United States. You have these countries in the West that have unequal control over policies that come out of these institutions. And they continue to uh, take over economies of the third world and basically implement extractive policies which are about uh, stealing and pillaging the nature of the environment and the communities and implementing policies which end democracy in these countries, which are establishing governments which are not of the people, by the people, for the people, but they're really for the Western corporations. So what do we do with these institutions? We need to hold them accountable. An institution like the World Bank, if it was really a bank, given its past and the amount of damage it has caused, it would no longer be operating. It has failed in its stated mission of ending poverty. So I think it is absolutely important that internationally we are asking what these institutions are still doing and we need to hold them accountable. This bank should have gone out of business given the kind of uh, you know, damage it has caused around the world. It has given bad loans, which have led to structural adjustment programs. These bad loans have been given very often to dictators where the poor people are having to pay back for them. So it's no rocket science as to what should happen to these institutions, as well as to co corrupt governments, which basically wage wars so corporations can continue to get rich. Well, as I said, uh, A.J. Banger, the uh, head of the World Bank, uh, he was nominated by Joe Biden, whose son Hunter Biden was paid by MPNA, which is an alliance with MasterCard, his previous employer. Biden seems to have confidence uh, in him nevertheless. But given that your policy director has said how deceitful the United Nations has become, because after all, Antonio Guterres is very quick to talk about this grain deal being important. Given Vladimir Putin says, oh, well, we're open to a new one, uh, is it impossible? for Russia to organize some kind of grain deal in during this war that will not 
uh, end up being uh, part of agribusiness corporations in the West, especially maybe if the UN is involved? I mean, what, what, what has Frederick Massau, your policy director, got against this UN? I mean, it's appalling. He said, together with the Western Bank's financial institutions, the UN is supporting large food trading companies, oligarchs and their lenders and shareholders to sustain export business and grow profits despite the carnage of war. Well, this is not really about being against the United Nations. As a policy think tank, we look at the facts and He said research. appallingly deceitful. And, well, it is appallingly deceitful because if you have United Nations saying that this initiative is important to prevent famines and allow export of food commodities to countries which are food insecure, which are in need, but you have to look at the facts. Now, despite what the United Nations says, its own data, not our data, but United Nations data says that only 3% of the food commodities that were exported from Ukraine went to food insecure countries of countries which had any kind of food shortages. They are going predominantly to European Union. And the second one is China. And there are a few, the there are a few institutions like your one, like Oxfam actually has said similar things. What's it like running, a, running your Oakland Institute, given the way the World Bank and IMF is able to uh, uh, use their funding for NGOs to presumably rubbish everything you say? Well, actually, what we do is we rubbish their lies. They are so used to kind of blowing smoke into the eyes of people. It is the work of institutions like the Oakland Institute to basically say that emperor has no new clothes. This is the World Bank, which has consistently lied decades and decades. And suddenly we think it is in the business of protecting the poor and improving food security. Let's not forget this is the same institution which turned African countries which were food exporting countries into food importing countries. So given its history and the evidence that exists, given the data that comes from the United Nations itself, we are fooling ourselves and choosing to remain ignorant. Yeah, but aren't they funding the development, development economics departments at university, educational institutions throughout the world? They're, they're funding people so that uh, they can proudly talk about wanting to solve world hunger and will be parroting this Black Sea Grain Initiative nonsense, uh, whereas your voice presumably is not heard on the mainstream media. Well, I think this is really what's called poor washing. I mean, I think the burden of proof is on them to demonstrate. How do they call it development? Now, how do you call devastating livelihoods development? How do you call destroying agriculture and livelihoods of small farmers development? So the burden of proof is really on them. So they can poor wash, they can greenwash, they can lie as much as they want. But when you look at the research and data, again, their own data, you look at the research that comes out of the World Bank, all you have to do is uh, be slightly intelligent and not lazy and go through the figures. The truth and the evidence is right there. It's okay. a truth that you can't run from or hide from. In the light of the amount of BlackRock uh, connections to Zelensky, maybe this is laughable or, or tragic given the tens of thousands that have been killed in this war, technically, Presumably, Zelensky would say, no, you know, past, after the uh, US-backed coup in 2014, it's illegal for foreigners to own land. So how is agribusiness uh, managing to uh, invade the country, arguably more successfully than any other country? Well, I would strongly urge your viewers to read a report, War and Theft, which clearly demonstrates using 
uh, corporate databases and private databases to expose who's actually invested in these lands. And sorry, earlier I mentioned PHC, I should mention that the fund, which is a US-based uh, private equity fund, which is heavily invested, and where the US pension funds, foundations, university endowments are invested, is the NCH capital. So you have private equity funds moving in like vultures who are investing in land. So I'm afraid, President Zelensky, you have to look at our reports and the data that we have secured, which clearly demonstrates who owns the land. It's predominantly the oligarchs in Ukraine, as well as the Western financial interests, predominantly North American and European. Obviously, they all deny wrongdoing, and uh, we're not an advert for those funds. And in any case, I presume it's a bad bet if uh, NATO eventually admits defeat in, in this war. Um, do you ever think that uh, you're uh, de facto by mistake advising people to invest in these profiteering agribusiness firms as you explain what uh, you appear to be saying is deep corruption involved in this war as regards food from NATO countries? I think everyone can say that war is corrupt. Uh, as you said, if it wasn't so tragic, if it wasn't about the destruction of lives that we are seeing, it would be funny and laughable as to how it's a chess game that's played. But the reality is the tragedy, the tragedy of lives being lost, ch children who are losing their lives, the minefields, destruction of livelihoods. Um, no war is about peace. No war in today's world is about really dignity. Every war is corrupt. Every war is about taking resources away and putting it in the military industrial complex. In today's civilized world, to not have diplomacy, to not have talk of peace, to see lives being devastated, to see the Ukrainian farmers being in the battlefield instead of having rich livelihoods, growing food for themselves, their country and the world. I mean, it's a shame that we are are fooled by these lies of dignity and bravery and democracy and support and friendship with Ukraine. The truth is, it's once again the corporations who are out to make money and profit, even if, if it the cost is lives and livelihoods of the innocent. And Rada Mittal, thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back on Saturday with a brand new episode. But until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. And head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.